0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Echelon Cycling Podcast. This is where we talk about, well, what's happened in the world of cycling, nothing really, this week, and uh, look ahead to the future. But uh, as always, to talk about all things cycling, I'm joined by Patrick Blake of Aldous Cycling and Mr. Gregor himself, Ewan Wilson. And yeah, apologies, I'm feeling a bit under the weather today, but uh, that is because Ewan and I were at Rouleur. Patrick was invited, but. Uh, Unfortunately, other things got in the way, but uh, yeah, we might as well start there. You're in quite an eventful, uh, three days, really to say the least kind of huge event. You're seeing all these new technologies being unveiled by different teams. We had a lot teams, uh, companies, Lotus with their new 20 grand, uh, e-bike was quite a exceptional thing. There was jerseys by Tom, Tommy Simpson as well, worn by him. And, uh, yeah, Jan, how was Ruler? Exactly. That we had Paul Smith design bikes talks from people all across the
1: industry. And it was good to catch up with, uh, I mean, with yourself also with, uh, some, some, some subscribers that, that we saw there, some old friends some some people we know in, in, in the sport. So we had a very, very enjoyable weekend all around and, um, it's good to know that Rula is still keeping us on our toes, but I think we're both quite under the weather. So definitely a sacrifice.
0: I mean, we, um, well, technically we were also part of a rival podcast, the Garen Thomas cycling podcast. We were listening to that while that was being recorded. Very insightful, but, um, yeah, Nico Roach as well, lovely as ever. Yeah. We might as well go into it. We had a few interviews for it, and you and you talked to a Bahrain Victorious rider, who was it and what were you talking about? Well, I caught up with Matej Mohoric at Rula
1: and spoke about how that season has been and uh, his season next year, w- w- what that's going to mean, particularly looking towards Roubaix. Um, so w- with all of that and the, the extra factor of him being gravel world champion, let's hear a little bit from uh, the kid from Kranja in Slovenia.
2: Matej Mohoric, welcome to London. Thank
3: you. Thank you for having me.
2: No problem. How much of the city have you seen so far?
3: I've seen uh, the Tower of London this morning, and uh, yeah, we had uh, I'm at twenty-three thousand steps. That's pretty
2: impressive. That's a lot of calories burned.
3: So yeah, yeah, yeah. we had a uh, we had a nice uh, walk uh, around the city, and uh, yeah, we've enjoyed our stay.
2: How's the off season been treating you so far?
3: It was nice. Uh, no setbacks this time around, so I'm not used to that. No injuries or illnesses, so uh, enjoying the moment at the moment at this, at this time.
2: And looking back on this season, of course, that Tour de France stage win. How did that feel at, at the time? That interview went viral, and everyone's been asking you about it. But how how does this season sort of compare to the to your the ones in the past?
3: It was a very successful year. So. Uh, proud of what I've achieved together with Team Bahrain Victorious and uh, already looking forward to, to next season. Uh, being the type of person I am, I always see things I can do better. So, yeah, uh, nice to look back, but also nice to, to, to plan for the future.
2: And looking looking towards the future, what are your goals for 2024?
3: I have unfinished business at uh, Tour of Flanders and Roubaix, so I'm uh, looking forward to that.
2: And you, you described paris Bay like Christmas in a previous interview. What did you mean by that?
3: It only happens once in a year and uh, it's the best day of road racing we have in the season. I really enjoy the, the cobbles and uh, the chaos of that race. Uh, I did have uh, an opportunity to have a second day of Christmas at the Gravel World Championships this year. So hopefully we can pack uh, in some more Gravel races next year. Also looking forward to, deck, to that. Finally, wearing uh, the rainbow jersey in a race because I didn't get a chance when I was the junior and under 23 world champion. So uh, yeah, lots of exciting uh, things coming up next year.
2: And I, I know you read a lot of books. You try to keep on, try to keep on top of it, of it all. What are you reading at the moment?
3: Uh, it's hard to translate in Slovenian, uh, but uh, yeah, it's. It's, uh, it was just an honor, but, uh, it's mostly off season for me It's a time to hang out with my kids because I don't see them a lot during the year. So yeah, trying to take advantage of that. I mostly read at races when I have some free time.
2: <laughs> Fair enough. Thank you very much, Adi. Fala.
0: But I mean, Patrick, just so you're not silent, this whole first part, <laughs> uh, what, what do you think of Moorhead going for the Rond van Blundering Gra- gravel world champion? gravel stage we were talking about that as well
4: that he would be the the guy uh, for the tour as well I think he can do it because he has he's always kind of there and thereabouts you know finished fifth in Roubaix in the past he's I feel like he's definitely finished inside the top 10 of in the past or if he hasn't he definitely yeah he definitely has so I think well, why not I think that it's a, it's a good goal Bahrain not a team which really springs to mind as like cobbled classics giants of course we had called Brelli in the past but now they seem a little bit like they need that cobbled classic spearhead and I think that certainly Mahorich could uh could be that person I don't see any reason why he couldn't be up there you know as long as everything goes his way and he's not unlucky in the race in terms of punctures and or crashes or whatever nor being on the wrong side of a split I don't see why Mahorich couldn't be on the podium of of either of those races to be honest with you
1: just some live fact-checking. Mojave just never finished inside
4: top ten. Has he not? I swear he's been up there in, uh, in like a second group. He's he's
1: definitely, uh, he's yeah. been up there in, in a number of
4: other races, like E.G. Haderbeck,
1: Kane uh, wavell him and so forth, but never at there on them. But that in hand, he looked so good in those like early Gobble classics in the past couple of years that you'd think that would be transferable over here. And also with the added context last year was in great form and Fred Wright ended up in top 10 the year before Marco Haller was, was right up there in the mix, you know, it's, it's like maybe, maybe those weren't his chances, but Rube and Ronda next year could definitely be his, his kind of thing. I really believe in Matthew Moharechi was my pick to win Roubaix this year. If he targets a race, he's so sort of studious and so forth. He even admits himself, he's like a little bit of a nerd. He he likes to sort of read up on the roots and know where where to go. And I think. And if anybody outside of the Galacticos were to win Bay, it would be uh, Matej Mohorovic.
0: Wait, is he the only writer who likes to read up on where he's going? I mean, Caleb
1: Bune doesn't know where he is half the time. This is not me and I'm Caleb Bune. This is This is based on an actual interview he gave a couple of years back um, where he was asked, like, oh, where are we today? He's like, I don't know. And, and like he got like he he got given a map of the places he won Giro stages and he didn't know any of the towns or cities he won them in. Whereas like Maty Mordic, you know, he like he, he reads up on stages. Like with Sanremo, he he knew every inch of that descent. Tour de France stages as well with Le Courseu a couple of years back where he he won that stage. He targets races
0: very specifically. But we well we also bumped into Nibali. Uh He was very down to earth and very nice, uh, enjoying retirement. But. We also talked to UAT member, Jay Vine. This was you and again, and uh, very insightful. And uh, I mean, we'll, we have the clip of the second day in extra, but we might as well include it here as well.
2: Jay Vine, welcome to London.
5: Uh, thank you. It uh, was a wet arrival, but yeah, it's good to be here. What have you seen in the city so far? Uh, I've seen a lot of rain, um, a lot of 20 miles an hour, but nothing much yet. We're, tomorrow we're gonna to see Tower of London and I'm leaning toward Buckingham Palace. You're
2: really ticking off all the tourist sites.
5: Yeah, well I've got to. Like, exactly. I'm, I'm exactly. only here for, for you know a very short period of time in my career before I retire on a farm on a porch somewhere in regional Australia <laughs> and never leave. <laughs> it's only a matter of years now. So this, this year
2: has been a real sort of breakout year for you I would say in terms of your your GC action how has it been from the Tour de Nanza onwards
5: yeah i mean it's uh, after january it was a bit disappointing you know getting the injury and then yeah not having the the best preparation for for the giro you, but i mean i I've, I've learned a lot about myself and you know how how i can fit into the team and help even if i'm not the center of attention you know and i mean i've i've enjoyed that a lot like even in the even like in the Giro after I uh, basically went downhill um, and then even in Swiss and then Walter after that and Burgos even like I really enjoy being a really good domestic even if I'm not the leader so and then also our different riders like their, their domestics to work for them you know if they want to be hit hit the base of the climb really hard or if they want a really strong tempo or really heavy pace or they want accelerations you know that sort of thing. It's, it's been really good to learn that sort of thing, which just wasn't part of my career before. And moving to UAE, has
2: that changed your outlook on cycling? Because Alperson de and your, your rise to cycling was very atypical. Now at UAE, has that really how, how has that move changed your perspective and your
5: career? I mean, Alperson, you can't take anything away from them. They took a guy that was racing with groups of 25, and probably being the strongest in that group 25, racing in Australia at amateur level, maybe four UCI races under his belt, to racing in a peloton of 180. So, moving around the peloton, following Jasper, following Tim Millier, Gianni Vermeer, Zandro, like, that was the building box of my career. And they taught me a lot, yeah. You know? They also taught me how to work a sprint train, how to move and hold a position in the bunch. All these little things. And you know, I don't think a lot of guys get that when they go straight to the best teams in the world. Um, and you know, those teams that just hold the front of the bike race and they never go back to to work out how to move to the front again. I learn a lot with Alperson, and it's carried over to UAE, and I'd like to hope that I've also helped some of the guys with UAE, some of those little things that I've noticed. Um, But, yeah, no, I've, yeah.
2: And one thing that was very noticeable this year was your improvement on time trialing. How did that come about? Was there a specific way you targeted
5: that in order to improve your time trialing in 2023? Um, Well, I think, yeah. Pretty obviously the the extra wind tunnel testing was a big part of that. Um, I think I moved position like I came that came down in the front by like three or four centimeters. The arms came in, different helmet, different skin suits. Like there was a lot of work that went into that. Um, I've always loved time trialing, Like in Australia, it was one of the few things that sort of made sense to me after mountain biking. Like, if you're in a road race you're not and you're the strongest, you might not necessarily win. If you're in a time trial and you're the strongest, you're probably going to win, unless you get too excited and blow your cookies on the, the first climb. But I really enjoyed time trialing and like my power profile and my weight sort of lends itself towards that in a GC realm. Like, Against Scanner I probably got no chance, which was shown at Worlds, um, but uh, yeah, like I really enjoy time trialling and also having a bike at home, riding it once a week minimum, it also was part of it. i yeah. And looking towards next year, in 2024, have you
2: been sort of told your calendar yet and your goals, or are you still to find that out?
5: Still to find out a lot about that, obviously Down Under is on the cards. Um, I've got my time trial nationals on the fourth, and I think the road race is on the seventh. So, an early tart to the season, and then, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's 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 bigger paychecks trying to work out which Grand Tours they're doing before I get my Grand Tour. But um, yeah, hopefully a Grand Tour that involves some sun and. Um, yeah, a season that doesn't get interrupted by needless injuries, that's, that's, that's what I'm hoping for.
2: And hopefully a dry Giro d'Italia this year.
5: Well, a dry, whatever Grand Tour Jay Vine's doing would be nice. Please, <laughs> <laughs> so, the, upper, the upper gods above, they must be. It rained in the Giro full gas the whole time. It rained in the, in the Volta for 60% of the races that I did. Sorry, 30% of the races I did. I don't think it rained once in the Tour. Seriously.
2: And looking forward to next year as well, is there a possibility of you linking up with Tate,
5: looking towards his GC goals, or is that something you're still to find out as well? Still to find out, but, I mean, that'd be pretty incredible. Like, I spoke to Jack Haig, actually, before Worlds, so sometime in August or July, and I asked him what was the best part of his career so far, and he couldn't give me an exact... Thing, but he said that he really wants to be a part of a grand tour winning team again, and obviously with Simon Yates He was part of that and, I'll, and I've always remembered that so I'd, I'd like to be part of that so, you know whether that's with Tade or one of the other guys like Yeah, that'd be pretty special.
0: Yeah, you uh, and Patrick what, what do you make of Jay Viner as rider and what he's gonna do next year bad luck this year? but uh, yeah he, he seems quite ambitious about talking about GC chances and things like this. And who wouldn't be? First stage race he,
4: he entered for UAE, he won it. I think that part of UAE though, isn't it? There's always somebody, somebody else. There's always a Poggy, an Almeida, a Yuzo, etc. Although I do think that J. Vine on his day is one of the best climbers in the world. Like we saw how important he was for Almeida during the Giro, the amount of times when Almeida got dropped on a descent or something. I think it was a stage where it's Flipposana one. I just specifically remember J. Vine being a proper just trooper on that day. Yeah, it's just where do you get your opportunities though? Of course, you know, Poggy and Yuzo and Almeida can't go to every race, so I would like to see Jay Vine do something outside of the Tour de Under in terms of like the big GC and him be given something like a, a Catalonia would be a good start. I think he would do better on those sort of longer climbs. In my eyes, I'm not sure whether like a Basque country is his cup of tea, but so maybe we start with a Catalonia and then maybe we'll progress into like a Tour de Suisse or a, a, a Dauphine or whatever something like that. But I've, I'm I'm hopeful that Jay Vine will be a GC contender for the stage races i think more for grand tours maybe he's more of a stage hunter but i'm not sure if that's just uh me reading the uh the room
1: wrong yeah it was interesting to hear him talk about um sort of his his, his new perspective and pathway at, at uae and how different it was to Abbas and de koenig beforehand of course whilst being complimentary about his former team but going forward it definitely seems like he's uh he, he hasn't quite been told whether he's going to the Tour de France or going to the Giro. It's exciting. He just doesn't want some rainfall. And off the record as well, but before we had a conversation, which I thought was really interesting, he actually he spoke about deleting Twitter and that he doesn't actually go online anymore. He doesn't really read up on on tweets or anything, and he's like that's really helped him. Do you think that that's quite a good thing for these writers to just like get off Twitter to get off these social media accounts? sort yeah. of help them at ease, especially with like all that Sudalvisma drama as well. Jay, Jay was saying that he was kind of kept out of the loop with that one and it actually really helped that he didn't know much about it. And particularly a lot of the writers who were directly involved for them reading up and all this stuff in Twitter, surely it weighs heavy.
4: It, it is probably better just to get rid of Twitter, especially because there's just so much rubbish that goes around on that with people saying stuff with no sources, just claiming stuff. I even saw something today which is talking about mike woods doesn't have a contract or something have you guys seen that doesn't have a contract but there's no source behind it and you just never you never know what you're going to get sometimes it's just all a big old red herring and sometimes it's just best just to kind of put your head in the sand and just not have any idea about it and just focus on the job at hand and i think that jay's probably hit a a bit of a a good idea there maybe other riders should follow suit maybe we'll just end up with no riders on X, Twitter, whatever the heck it'll it'll be called. Yeah, I think Johannes
0: Winkle, obviously he had this dramatic rise from super talent to then becoming, well, podium finisher at the Tour and then Tour de France winner. And all his social media now, I think, is controlled by one of the PR guys in uh, Young Burisma, so it's just like, yeah, mental health is definitely a thing. And, uh, well, for cyclists as well, and just having, focusing on what you're meant to do, just you're meant to turn out as many words
4: as possible on a bike. When Palmy's was just like, if they're going to have just a social media manager just to post stuff, would I rather them just not post anything at all? It was like when Sargon used to post stuff back in the day and it was just clearly not him, it's just somebody else. And I'm like, if it's not his words, then does it even really matter to me? If it's just something which is just made to appease the crowd and be as p- politically correct as possible.
1: I think there is a bit of a generational divide in the palatal with some of these guys who have now grown up with social media. So you've got the guys coming through, your Remcos, all of those guys, Pogaccia, who use social media in a very different way. They're used to a sort of a different ecosystem. I think maybe some of the writers who didn't grow up with the internet who aren't the zoomers quote unquote i think for them probably it, it, it's harder for them to sort of face the noise of, of, of being on on social media but what i find super refreshing about about all these guys like, like like poggy for instance is the way he uses social media it's playful it's it's youthful it's like it's like i'm like reading tweets from someone I, I, if i follow in like my normal life it's it's not like um it's a pro cyclist like he'd he posted that gif of the of, of that guy that sometimes good sometimes shit you know, it's just like, it's so it's so fun. It's, it's just like subtweeting people and making jokes about riders in the Peloton. That's quite fun. But at the same time, it's also a nasty, nasty place. And there have been times, particularly, I mean, even in th- this year with Jay Vine, he gave the interview at the Giro that I think was wildly misinterpreted about him being a domestique. I'm not paid to do this. I'm paid to ride my bike and to, to be a helper. That interview that I think got misinterpreted by many people, myself included, where probably all that noise online just kind of ends up in your phone and just sort of being there all the time.
0: I think actually meeting Jay Vine was really refreshing because he's a really nice guy, so he's quite a dry sense of humor as well. So I think that interview was, yeah, yeah, it was definitely not meant what it, what it came out as, but I mean, that aside, we might as well, before we move on to what we're not and the Giro d'Italia, we're going to put Cyclocross in here, the European championships happened, um, on the Sunday. And, uh, what did you guys make of this? Michael Van Tourhout winning
4: the men's and Van Empel winning the women's. I did see something earlier today, which is talking about Van Empel. It's like this, like, this cyclocross season is going to be a little bit boring whenever Van Empel steps up to the start because it's, uh, she, she's just so dominant. Has she even lost anything this year so far? I'm not sure that she has. Whenever I see her rocking up to the start, I'm just like, oh she's won again. So now she's the world and European champion at the same time, which is super impressive. But yeah, on the men's side, Van Tornat was a bit of a surprise for me because he hasn't been looking very dominant this year. So I was a bit surprised. I think we were all looking a bit at, say, you know, Lars van der Haar won last weekend. I can't remember the name of of, of a race that begins with an M and I'm not gonna be I'm not gonna attempt to pronounce it because I don't, don't want to just I don't know ruin a whole nation. And then like Elizabeth and and Thibaut Nace. But yeah Van Tornout was a bit of a surprise for me um coming kind of out of left field and, and winning but he, he was the defending European champion so maybe I shouldn't have been surprised but part of it was I was looking at some other people who were more kind of getting the wins I'm gonna try and not offend the people of Belgium.
0: Mars Mechelet, regardless. I was gonna say it's too late because you've already kind of crucified Watmanot on a weekly basis almost. So Oh Ooh. it's true. Ouch. No. <laughs> I mean, do what's their hometown again? It <laughs> said don't go there anytime soon. Um, he's from all
1: all all this is deep in the memory vault. No and
0: there's a cyclocross race there. It's getting worse. Is there is really- I met his neighbors as well in Benidorm, which was weird. Her towels, that's it. For viewers, it's currently 10am in the morning. Hence my brain
1: all over the place. Uh, Van winning is quite, is quite cool. Like He's, he's the kind of guy to pull out a result when you least expect it. Not least expected, but like, he's kind of reliable. But he, he's the kind of guy, over the past like five years, he's been consistently fifth-sixth. But then whenever the Van Der and Van Aan aren't there, he, he can creep on the podium and, and get a couple wins. And... It's quite cool to see him in the European jersey, I'll be honest, but...
0: (laughs) We know, we know, you're going to go with the Scottish angle now. Should I get my finger
1: out? Should I I say the national
0: anthem? It was a big Uh, performance. This,
1: a a silver medal for Scotland, I refuse to call it the United Kingdom, a silver medal for Scotland from Cam Mason from Linlithgow, getting the win, a fellow YouTuber as well, knows the craft well. getting
0: No, we just spoke about it. It was Michael Van Tore had that one second place and he's been getting the win for him second
1: place <laughs> is a victory he's been slowly and slowly like creeping up he had a really good world championships uh this year earlier on back in what was it february and he's been climbing and climbing and getting better and better and he's uh, he's an interesting character and i think he really brings something unique because he's not one of these zoomers in the sport it, it'll be cool to see where where cam mason goes in the years to come and this first senior
0: medal definitely points towards good things yeah, when you look at the people, he was finishing ahead, Lars van der Haar, obviously former European Championship uh, champion a few times. Peron Haard, who's kind of touted as this next big thing for the Dutch riders, then Ryan Camp, Elie Ezebied, we all know who he is. Arne Sweek. I mean, he's above like a huge class of riders here, so big up. Yeah, Cameron Mason.
4: Yeah. And, I mean, I I know know you didn't want to call it the United Kingdom, but there there was other success for the United Kingdom in kind of this European little spell. Zoe Backstead won the under-23 women's cyclocross, and also Kat Ferguson finished second in the women's junior event. There's definitely success in the kind of the GP ranks. Um... Can make some of the success in the Scottish ranks. We'll, we'll keep we'll keep it se- separate for for you and but I, I, I quite and also I, I want to point out the under twenty three men's winner Jensy Mickels who rides for Alpecin De Cuneco. Yet another rider that Alpecin De are bringing into the ranks as like a future cyclocross star. I think he's only like 21, 22, something like that. So yet another one for them to kind of throw into it. But I just find it interesting in cyclocross that there are teammates out there like we saw like Trek Lions have got like like Saverinha Tiboneis at Joris Yunhaus. I always find teammates a bit of a weird thing in cyclocross because it's not like, it's not like a massive draft benefit. And I always find it quite weird how teammates work. Is it just like you can just block somebody into a corner? I'm just going to park it on the corner, on the apex. I just find it a bit odd how the teammates thing works. It's a bit... It's a bit, it's a bit, it's a bit of a grey area for me, but I don't know. That, that's the whole time if you play teammates in F1. If they really do anything? Um, actually, I think that is a really
1: good comparison. Yeah. Debate. Is this a bit of an asterisk victory? Because there was no Van Arnold van der Poel, Pid Kalk. neither was there Thibaut Nays, who's been looking like a real up-and-coming star. Does this sort of make it a little bit of a meh victory for Van Turenaut, or is he still going to go? I can't remember the last time any of them turned up to the Europeans. Yeah, it's true. Usually this is like the kind of stomping ground for like your Van Turenauts and your Lars van der Haas of the world. But uh, yeah, it's good to see that that these guys who usually get a little bit overshadowed by the, by the sort of Galacticos of the sport and t 100% is now a Galactico
0: of cyclocross, that, um, they're now getting their sort of, their time to shine. 2019 was the last time Macho Vanderpool came and won and Pickcock wouldn't really? know as well, but he was 20 year old Pickcock, not yeah. yeah. And I mean, cycling has changed so much since COVID, that I feel like that big axis change really has been emphasized.
1: But just looking, I mean, we spoke about Femfenemple earlier on. Her winning margin in the women's race is one and a half minutes. That's huge. Like for a cyclocross race, like these gaps that that, would, that you're seeing inside top five, it's three minutes between first and fifth place. That is absolutely like outstanding. How how much longer can Femfenemple really be the queen of of women's cyclocross?
4: Yeah, I think you're right. The, the person who seems to be able to get close to her is Put Piezza but she kind of did a lot of gravel and mountain bike throughout the summer which Fenvendel doesn't do as far as I'm aware of or definitely doesn't do as much so I think that Put Piezza is like the big competition but I think she's having to sort of, sort of take a bit of a more of a rest period after the summer, and then she'll build towards the world champs. Um, so I kind of hope that she comes back just for the sake of competition, but because Van empel just literally goes hard on the first lap, drops everyone, and then just kind of literally just looks like she's breathing through her nose for the whole rest of the time. It is just complete poise and, uh, great for her, but it's just, I'm just saying from a viewer yeah. perspective.
1: She hasn't lost the race that she started this year, uh, in Clarifold Ross. Which is like the stopping. <laughs> well, women's cyclocross seems to have this, where it's like your boys need to have like a now standing star that that comes through and dominates for the year. Um, we Dutch <laughs> yeah, but, but <laughs> Van Impuls twenty one. She's born in September two thousand and two. Like that's so young. Are we? Are we just strapping ourselves in? How old's Pug Peterser? Similar? No, I think Pug Peterser's older, isn't she?
4: Oh, yeah. she's in my twenty.
1: Oh, she's May 2002, so so that they are like pretty much the same age, but Pisa is six months older, but Pisa is, is a bit like Pidcock, where she does all the other sort of like off-road kind of things as well, and Pisa wants to move more into the roadside in the years to come. So maybe that allows Sven van Empel to really become the only real star of Women's Cycle
0: I mean, van Empel, she's started, well, she's had not a complete road season
4: yet, Say, but
0: like she did the Giro Donna,
4: yeah. But, um, and she did the, the women's total Avenue as well, yeah, exactly. She, yeah, she was crushing that. Nah. But she finished sick
0: though, winning the poise jersey though, taking stage three. I mean, she's only 21, she's gonna get so much better every year now. Oh god, she's literally been acting a <laughs> like, isn't she? Yeah, exactly. I was gonna say, Marianne Ross, she literally is. Van Emple, I think, definitely has more time to,
1: to brew in terms of her roadside, but it's definitely looking super positive. If she ends up on the Tour de France fam start list, which she should, and a Dutch rider with a Dutch Grand Depart next year,
0: hoping it, it, it all works out. Lose Anna van Ombregen, lose uh, Anna uh, van Vleuten, and you're like, ah, oh, the Dutch reign is over. And then bang, no, here we go. <laughs> and now <laughs> Demi Bollering won the Tour de France as well. Somebody do something, please. <laughs> Come on, we need some air track, Come, Come on. on.
4: <laughs> What's going on with the Netherlands?
0: <laughs> Colombian women? Like, we just need a place with high mountains. But yeah, we'll wait and see what happens there. But we might as well move on. And uh, talking of Colombia, Tour of Colombia is set to return. Obviously, there is, well, we've talked about that race on the podcast before, the World Tour Colombia, which is a different race. The One uh, podcast favorite, Miguel Lopez, absolutely wiped the floor with, uh, winning nine stages out of ten. What was it you said, Ewan? Like, Beyonce turning up to... a. Karaoke contest, but yeah, this is the other Toro Colombia. So it's not the World Tag Colombia. It's the, it had a different name, but it's, it's a 2.1. I think it's the one where Egan Bernal won it one year, Naira Quintana turned up all the big stars kind of turned up to that race. So much energy from Colombians fans. We've seen that over the last many years. So yeah, I, as we've seen so many races disappear, especially since COVID Toro California, obviously before. Torto yorkshire gone, all these races, they're disappearing, toward it, to, plenty are over in the US. So it's good to see one coming back. And one takeaway
1: we had from Rula this weekend with a really, really engaging uh, panel with Doug Ryder um, head of Q36.5 is that events are vital for bringing through new talent and for teams to actually be able to get finance, uh, to race. And I think this is so, so important in, in, in Colombia. And it's why we're sort of seeing a little bit of a dry patch in terms of their younger riders, because COVID killed off a lot of their professional racing. That's definitely seems to be a bit of an axis after COVID, um, with the exception of Egan Bananal in 2021, where they just sort of lost that their, their momentum in the sport. So it's great to see this come back. We know they have the fans. I mean, back in 2019, it, it really was a spectator experience. There's a great bit in El Dia Menos Pensado where they go to Colombia and you have Nairo Quintana at home and it just, it's it's, it's phenomenal. And hopefully he'll, he'll be back there next year given mean, he's a world tour rider and you'll see him and Miguel Álvarez Lopez and so the old guard uh, maybe fighting out with some of these younger Colombian guys trying to come through. If Bidrago can find a way to get over there, maybe ride as a neutral athlete or with the national team. I now Rubio and so forth, just to sort of show that Colombian cycling is still there. Latin America is such a big, big market for this sport. And it's yet it's still so neglected in terms of its high level racing. So it's
0: really, really good to see this race come back. I would say make it a world tour now, world tour don't go to every single continent. Uh, we've been through this many times,
3: but,
1: but I think the scheduling as well is really important. I mean, we, we talk ab- about, world tour, but the potential for this to go world tour, given that you have the Puerto San Juan in Argentina as well close by then you have this race it makes it more feasible in terms of the logistics of riders going from one to the other so hopefully they sort of they merge together and have, have a bit of a collaboration between the two to make it a sort of succinct Latin American section of the calendar and hopefully within five years that section of the calendar can become more respected and maybe even move up into the world tour level. The only problem is that I don't think they really have the finance to push it. We're seeing the world tour tap while UCI tap more into the safe markets, the big sort of European powerhouses of cycling, as well as countries with um, finance, let's say, such as the Middle East, such as China, that could really secure financial legitimacy for these races, particularly given that we're now recovering from an economic crisis with the war in Ukraine, COVID and all this, uh, all going on at, at the same time. It might be quite hard for for Latin America
4: to make it to the world tour legitimately within three years. I think it makes sense if you could at least if you down under in January, lots a world tour stage race. And then you just have February, which is just this sort of chasm where you bring in like your community Valencianas, your route to Del Souls, people are really looking towards Omloop and Russell Kern, but I think that it's like probably the only month which doesn't have a World Tour level, i know I never Omloop's World Tour level. But you know what I mean. There's kind of it. There is a gap there because then you go into March and it's just oof, everything just kicks off, and then you have like a World something World Tour every single month there until like October. February is definitely a bit of a down period where I think that a Tour of columbia like I say you in a few years could maybe become a World Tour level stage race. i Think that'd be really cool. I think it's also good like you both said, not
0: to move it up too quickly, because I think that was at the detriment of the Tour of California because they took it to a world tour and then they started to struggle. All the Conte teams couldn't go in there and they were the ones relying on this big thing. It was like their Tour de France, if you will, of the year. And suddenly they were, were kind of excluded, which was a bit of a shame. But I mean, that aside, we might as well move on to the final thing. Uh UN's favorite rider of all time, Juan Bernard, is apparently not targeting, well, going to be targeting a new grand tour, shall we say, uh, the Giro d'Italia. And uh, yeah, what's the story? And what do you make of it? Well, this has been heavily rumored by Gazzetta dello Sport and the
1: Italian press saying that Van will be going to the Giro d'Italia in 2024. This is with the extended focus of making it to the Olympic Games, Tour de France participation looks unlikely. But Van vernard would be going to the Giro with an eye on general classification, aiming for a top five in that race. Interesting. Yuma y- Visma, of course, the reigning champion to that race after winning it with pretty glitched last year. And they're looking to, to potentially send Van next year. We see Mathieu van der Poel, he rode the Giro back in 2022 before riding the Tour de France to the detriment probably of his Tour de France campaign. But for Val Venant, this is going to be a busy old season. He's still looking to win Pyro Bay or the Ronde Van Vlaanderen next year. Then he'll jump into the Giro d'Italia. Then we'll switch his focus to winning the Parisian Olympic Games in uh late July of 2024. A busy old year for Wow Vernard. It's somewhat of sort of pogacha style
4: calendar. Guys, do you think Wout's gonna be able to pull off a GC run at the Gino? 2021 WoW is what I'm thinking about. The last time we had Wow, who was just going for like a GC over something which was hilly, it was, in my opinion, to rain him. 2021, when he finished in second place in GC, over Platy de Trivo, which was won by Pagat on that day. White one out finished ninth, 45 seconds down. There was another climb before that, so it was like it was a hard day, but I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm just being too pessimistic about it, but Wout has climbed very well in the past. He's been up there as some of like one of the last sort of mountain steaks ahead of like a set cuss. But I don't know, Wout seems to have changed the last few years. His climb doesn't seem to be as good. I'm not sure. I think it's going to take a little bit of a shift where either the Classics are going to, going to take like a big hit and the Giro will be like better, or he's going to try and do well in both and neither are going to go well. I'm glad you mentioned Thibaut because... That climbers is back in the first week of
1: the Giro, It's in towards, towards the end of the first week of, of the Giro. but WoW could win stage two. It's a very WoW kind of finish, the one to Europa. That motor, sort of motor engine kind of climber. We've seen people win at Europa who are sort of the more diesel engine kind of climbers, potentially what WoW for Not could be there. But I just don't think there's enough evidence to show WoW Not being a legitimate GC contender, apart from Tireno back in 2021. The Tour de France in 2020, I didn't know Stars Aligned, that's the best form we've ever seen while it's in, and he was, what, inside top 20, but not really punching higher than that. There is a, a possibility that he is there, but I think that there is a distinct difference from being a mountain domestique who can go in the break win, do all this kind of stuff, to being a general classification leader. For Visma, Lisa bike though? Who else are they really going to send as their leader for the Giro? Because they've lost You DC Chris. GC Kuss might be going to the Vuelta again. Uh, he's a strong affiliation with, with Spain, loves the race. He won it last year, and then he does the Tour de France as as a domestique. What, who else really are they going to send? It's heartbreaking for Olaf Koy, given that he should really be at that Giro. But uh, looking elsewhere as well, outside of his Melissa bike and their own sort of objectives, the route no Grand Tour route is easy but this is the easiest Giro we have seen in a while. It's very sort of first week heavy, but if Wao can make it through that first week, he could really be on for something. We have, it's a lot less climbing than last year, a lot less climbing from years before. It's also the great, I mean, there aren't many mountain stages. This is May in Italy. We know the Giro can be uh, dictated by bad weather conditions. For instance, if that mountain stage to Grappa, which has two meaty climbs, if that gets altered and they take out a couple climbs, because there's snow at the top of the mountains, that could favor Walvinar greatly. And if he can sort of back that up with a good TT performance and still be there and hang on and hang on and hang on, then I could start to believe that Walvinar could finish top five. I don't think he's gonna podium. I just think that I just think jumping straight into Grand Tour as the leader in these conditions just doesn't quite work out. I think I think it's gonna be really interesting. And also, yeah. it's a little bit of difference from Alvinar because he's seen him copy paste his season a couple times now. Well, he goes to Tour de France and does the same thing, so it'll be interesting to see what he can do at the
4: Giro. Five years in a row, he has been at the Tour. Yeah. No Giro, no Welter. Yeah. It is, it is refreshing because it's the kind of clock ticking with Wout a bit. It sounds bad to say, but... Oof. I thought you know it was going to be the main one. At the moment, it's like, as the old saying goes, it's good, but it's not quite Carl." Kind of how it's going. Well, one day races, yeah, there's an E3 and again, but that Flanders and that Rubay is still missing. So is it sort of like, oh, these aren't really working, so I'm gonna try do something else because, you know, I want to get to the end of my career and not just be a one trick pony where I've just done the same season fit until Kingdom comes. I'm also interested just that point to a side, but will your suffer in the tour without a WoW there? You know, what if something goes wrong? Wow is incredibly versatile. Yes. Are Yumavisma gonna be like oh my word, we're now missing Wout because he's now wanting to do Olympics and he can't come here.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I would say last year he was definitely a pivotal role for that victory, but this year I feel like he hindered it more because they put so much resource into trying to get him a stage win. And yeah, obviously it didn't quite come to fruition, but yeah. But but, but, but you say that, but on that stage to Cotere, the one that was, uh,
1: yes, it was eventually won by, by Pogacar. But Wavanagh played a really key role in isolating Pogacha there. There's nobody else really in the Visma who could do that. Unless maybe Dylan Van really sort of focuses on his mountain climbing. There's no one else. Or maybe Wilco Kelderman really steps up to the plate. But just don't think Wilco Kelderman has that racing instinct in him uh, to, to fill that role. Maybe what I'm also thinking is last year they ended up winning by what? Seven and a half minutes in the end? Maybe they're thinking, well, we won by quite a lot anyway this is really favorable to, to, to goal. Why don't we
0: try and see if we can do this without Wout? It's quite dangerous when you think about it. Cause Tade was coming off by an injury. True. True. But I, I know and Tade had one
1: by two, the time trial, but he had one major road stage where he just sort of collapsed. But, Maybe they're thinking, well, I mean, Jonas definitely, I think, I think Jonas had more to give. Yeah, who else could they draft into that team to fill that role of Alvinar? Because they've also lost Nathan van Hoedonke in that Tour de France setup next year, given his early retirement due to cardiac problems. They have to fill up two roles in in that Tour de France team if Alvinar is going to skip the race to focus on the Olympic Games. Who's it going to be? Mateo Jorgensen, potentially? Jan Tratnik? Can Jorgensen and Tratnik fulfill those roles?
4: I simply don't think so. Like I say, it's a bit of a gamble because I think that with the signings that UAE have made this year, we could definitely see a, not just like a marginally, but a certain stronger UAE team Emirates team next year at the Tour in comparison to Jumbo. Because outside of like, if you don't take Wout, I just think he's such a key pin in that machine. Especially like, think back, I mean... Kind of tying it back to the Wildman Art GC at the Giro. Wildman Art at Hotecamp dropped Pegaccia. I know I was like, there's, you know, he was in a break and stuff like that. But what if you get that Wildman Art of the Giro? Like he was, you know, I know he finished behind Pegaccia on that day, but he was one of the better climbers inside the final week of the Tour de France. Is that like a credential that he might do well at the Giro as well by the fact that he did so good on such a big climb?
1: As we were saying, I do also think it, 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 it is a huge gamble. There's no one at UAE who is an equivalent to to, to and Sean Patrick. You said, you said that UAE are strengthening in their, their team. They definitely are. They're bringing Nils Pollitt in. They've got uh, some stronger climbers as well joining them at Sivakov and and, and, and and so forth. But is there really, there's, there's no equivalent for Wild they at UAE and that's what has made Walfenar such a pivotal character in the past couple Tour de France or Tour de France as a teammate, is that he provides something that UAE can't simply rise up to. We saw this year Adam Yates was climbing better than Sepp Kuss, that was a huge thing for them. If they drafted Almeida or Euglard to go to the Tour de France, they could be really good guys, they could probably challenge uh, Wilco Keldman up these climbs. And they've also got a ruler who's going to be a similar to sort of Christophe Laporte kind of style in uh, in Nils Pollitz next year. So
0: They really need to do, they need to 100% seriously think about this before they they commit. I mean, we might as well finish this segment off. Where do you think he's going to finish? I'm going to say third place. Come on, (sighs) wow. What? Can I,
4: you know, You could be right. It depends on who turns up, but with all the Galacticos apparently going to the tour, competition could be a little bit lower. I know I said 12th earlier. I'll go with... First, 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 first. (laughs) No, I'll go with ninth. I'll keep it, I'm keeping it real.
1: I don't think a podium, but I think a mid-top ten, somewhere between fourth
0: and seventh. I just think podiuming would be a step too far in your first grand. I mean, everyone's putting him inside top ten, which I mean, fair enough. He's finished twentieth, yeah. nineteenth, and twenty-first at the tour.
1: What if it just backfires in that first week and he ha- has a bit of a meltdown and then goes for Chico Lomino instead? Would winning Chico Lomino be another big achievement? For, like, would that be equal to fair yeah. place in GC? I don't know, that's probably that's gonna be Coy's job. Oh, shoot, yeah. Coy's oh. not going to a Grand Tour never in his life is. is are like,
4: literally allowed to go to a Grand Tour. Evan Ambel's oh. going to do a Grand Tour before I love Koi <laughs> Wait, she's already done one. She did it this season. Oh, yeah, exactly. My
1: point stands on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Can I mention a Visma Lisa bike rider and some news that came out this week? Is it, it Bart No. It's Michelle Hennisman. So we, we, we spoke about this a couple of weeks back, back in mid-August late August. Uh, Michel Hessman, a writer who is on the uh, Jumbo-Visma team of this year's Tour de France, young German writer. Um, His A sample was flagged up by the German edge doping agency for a banned substance. Uh, The team briefly suspended him and the B sample came back this week, reported on the local German press that the B sample was positive. There hasn't been a reaction from uh, either Jumbo-Visma nor the UCI yet on this case but there probably will be punishment coming. And also the local media in Germany is suggesting there could even be criminal prosecution in line for Michel Hessemann. Uh He's currently, according to Prostock, he's still in the books next year. We don't quite know because we are awaiting the, that decision from the UCI. They can be a little bit slow. I mean, we saw something this year from Rob Stannard, who was writing for Albert and for a doping case from maybe three years ago. And the decision came out this year. But given that this is generating quite a lot of sort of heat, even the Slovenian press is talking about it and so forth, we could be expecting a decision to come soon about Michel Hesman. Guys, do you think that he should stay? If we are to believe the local press in Germany and their reports that his B sample is positive for, I believe, diuretics, don't quote me 100% on that one, should he really be allowed to stay within the team?
4: No. No, yeah. No, I can't be. The, s- the sport's already, you-, you can't with good conscience keep a rider on like that. I don't think, even if it is for something which is like a medicinal thing, or whatever I think you gotta kind of you, you have to draw a line and just say no that's gone past it you can't have this grey fuzzy area where you're gonna try and sway in so it kind of he, he still stays in I just think you gotta draw a line in the sand I, I think the whole thing is just
0: sad, because when you think about it, it's first year as a pro that happens, and such a young
4: rider. He did, he did so good at the Tour de L'Avenir the year before, like he was on the podium. Those are like always the riders who do well as well, and it's like, he did you know, he was at Vajira, like his near pro season, it's like, wow. So it is, a, it is a shame that we might lose such a talent, but he'll probably end up after a few years at like whatever, Hyrule KTM or something like that, and just, we'll see him the Tour of the Alps in 2026. Yeah, it, it's I mean, we've seen riders as well before. If
1: they have sort of a doping whoopsie early on in their career, it really can sort of leave a bit of a stain. But Zacharin, for instance, from from Russia, he found it really hard to make it onto the world tour team and he because he felt great embarrassment about his former doping ban from when he was like a late teenager. So it'd be interesting to see where Hasman goes, whether he does stay with the team, but in the meantime, there are also some transfer news that came out this week. I would say sort of second tertiary transfer news. Harry Tansfield, formerly of the Bass tethema squad, uh, he's going to San Caran next year. And he's been hopping around the continental scene for a while. Uh, Christian Sparali, who's on Abbasante Koenig, big fan of this rider. Uh, he's going to Quaratexel Italia next year the Italian Pro-Continental squad that actually got an invite to this year's Giro. Also, Felix Gross has been on UAE for the past two years. Guys, Felix Gross has been on UAE. How much of an impact has he made there? I don't quite know. But he's actually moving off of the World Tour level and going back to Continental. He's quite a fall from grace for him as he moves down to Radnet Oswald. Also, um, this week as well, big news for the Museo family. Johan Museo. Uh, who's been on, on the Cycling Day channel in, in the past. His son, Stefano Miseris, has uh, signed a contract for Philippe Wagner Bazaar next year. And one rider I really want to flag up. We now have a Mongolian rider at the professional continental level, or the pro pro team, the second division of cycling. Yes, Burgos Beash have signed a Mongolian rider from Ulaanbaatar. He's a 27-year-old Jambaljam Saimbayar. If anybody can help with the pronunciation of that one, that would be greatly appreciated. If we do have any viewers in Mongolia, first of all, what's life like there? And second of all, this is just really cool that we're having a new country uh, within the top ranks of our sports. If you're wondering how he made it up onto the top level, he had a really good performances at the Tour de la this year. Also, he won the Tour of Thailand back in 2021, which has always been quite fertile ground for Asian riders to make it uh, onto, usually at the continental level, but this time it's the pro team. Level, So there is the chance that we're going to have a Mongolian rider at the Vuelta España next year.
0: Yeah, we might as well finish this with a uh, rider of the week. Bit of a hard one again, like last week. But uh, you yeah, and you might pick the same rider. My boy from Burkina
1: Faso, Paul Dermont, Keeps some winning, but I feel like putting him in like the pantheon of double of like back-to-back riders of the week is like, I think having Paul on there with Arno goal on Paul Garccia doesn't quite feel right. I'm going to go for Cam Mason, I'm going to fly the flag. Cam Mason for getting a silver medal. This is, I think, the first men's Scottish medal I've seen at like the men's elite level since I started watching cycling. And for me, that's a big deal. You know, don't have many
4: people to cheer on. Uh, so for Cam Mason, it's good news. Congrats. I'll go with Fetan Van Emple as my rider of the week for a winning margin of over a minute and a half to second place in a no-divies field. Like, it was pretty good apart from Piazza not being there, but still freaking out being the European and the world champion at the same time, it's a big deal. Yeah, okay, I'll continue on the same front. Michael Ventura
0: out, because I love his surname. He is my ride of the week. Obviously, it's not just because of that, it's because of his European title, defending that. And uh, yeah, that's it for a very long episode here. Who thought we could squeeze so much content out of a winter episode? But if you haven't already, make sure to hit the like button here on youtube subscribe to the channel and if you're listening why not head over to spotify and give us a five star review and that would really help but as always thank you very much to every single one of you for watching or listening and we will see you around